At Jonathan Healy, if you're on Twitter, and we'll go through the main stories in the papers in just a moment, but we'll introduce our panel to begin with. Alan Jukes, former leader of Fina Gale, Sinead Ryan, consumer columnist for The Herald, and Declan Power, security analyst. Good morning to you all. Jonathan. You look Good like morning, you ha- sir. You have the look of people who are calm, that you have this Christmas thing under control. You reckon? <laughs> Is that what we look like? That's what you look like today. Well, I can't speak for the others who, of course, look scintillating and sparkling. I myself don't feel a bit of that. I'd be glad when it's all over. Really? Declan? Uh, well, I mean, I think I just learned over the years, Christmas is like a marathon. You have to pace yourself, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, well, I have to. I, I have to admit, like I think most Irish men, I don't do any of the cooking at Christmas. We're going to have all the family back together again for Christmas, which will be really nice, and I'm looking forward to that. And a granddaughter who will turn four. Um, oh, well, coming yeah. for Christmas, so that's that's the great part. Of You're it. in the yeah. middle of it, and that's what makes it worthwhile. Just spare a thought for people who've ordered things on Amazon who are sweating uh, right now exactly, to see if it's exactly. going to make it in time for Christmas <laughs> Day. Anyway, let's go through the Sunday papers. I have some interesting stories in there this week. Uh, we'll start with uh, the Sunday Business Post. Donoghue, pensions on the table in new public pay talks. Public sector pay faces international comparison. Government to boost spending on major projects. It's an interview by Ian Guider with Pascal Donoghue. Uh, Gar the watchdog in court showdown over whistleblower meeting. I did mean to read the Sunday Independent, first of all, but given the day that's in it, I've just dropped it. So bear with me while I pick up a copy of it here. Um, because that has an interesting angle on the front page. Kenny is set to lead Fine Gael in the next election. Cabinet ministers fear Taoiseach will not step down. This is uh, by Philip Ryan and Jodie Corcoran. Fine Gael cabinet ministers, who must be very worried at this stage for a variety of different reasons, uh, believe Taoiseach and Kenny intends to remain party leader and fight for a third term in government if the office falls in the new year. So there is a caveat on it. He's not going to stay there in perpetuity if the government falls in the new year. After a week of political turmoil which threatened the confidence and supply deal between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, ministers now believe Mr Kenny intends to stay on as leader in the event of a snap election. And we'll come to that in a while as well. The Sunday Times has an interesting take from Colin Coyle on their front page. Helped to buy the scheme that was introduced in the budget. Remember there was a lot of controversy over what was going to help anybody and who was going to benefit from it. Well apparently it opened the door for EU abuse, according to the Sunday Times. Colin Coyle writes that the scheme could be used by EU nationals to buy outside of Ireland. Now, that was a warning that came from Department of Finance officials before the scheme was introduced. Officials said the practice could become a significant issue, but little could be done to challenge it because of the freedom of movement rights in the European treaties. The department warned any use of relief for home purchases in other countries could obviously have little or no impact on housing supply in Ireland. Which gives rise, of course, to the idea that if they didn't know about it before... They know about it now because it's on the front of the Sunday Times and it's in legislation. So how many people will, will use that? Um, there's a shocking story um, from a reporter, Zuhair Al-Shimele, Al I beg your pardon, who was reporting from Aleppo. And the headline just simply reads, I watched as Syrians executed prisoners. And it is a first-hand account of the atrocities that unfolded in a week when we should have had civilians being taken out safely from eastern Aleppo. And we'll, we'll come back to that a, a little bit later on. Uh, the Daily Mail goes with uh, Sleep Well, Little Man, a heartbreaking message from the devastated father of Oshin Seven, his best buddy who was killed by his mother in a murder-suicide. The heartbroken father of Oshin Driscoll has paid an emotional tribute to his son, describing the boy as his best buddy. Um, This is something that happens a lot these days uh, in in tragedies that befall families. People will post messages on social media. Um, And it's understandable because you post messages on social media about everything uh, that you do. 
But when something happens like this, it ends up on the front pages of the papers. And I, I, I'm uncomfortable with that. I don't know if anyone else is uncomfortable with that. The idea that such a personal message that's being posted on social media, that it ends up in the papers. I don't but know isn't that the like. nature of social media? Yeah. You know, once the message goes out, you've got no control over where it goes. Uh, and I think, um, unfortunately, a lot of people, including a lot of very young people, um, have been exposed to a lot of damage uh, as a result of that. I mean, I... I really can't understand, maybe it's my age, I can't understand why so many people put so much personal information mm. out onto platforms where it's accessible uh, mm. to people they they probably don't even know of. It's a different type of literacy though, I think. People that have grown up with social media then in a way that they take it for granted, in yeah. a way that we, we wouldn't as such, they they think about it differently. They they don't, they, they kind of, I think they make a gross assumption that um, they're, they're dialoguing with exactly who they say they're dialoguing with and yeah. that kind of social engineering aspect has been has been brought into great play by a lot of different organisations but there's one other point just related to what you were saying Jonathan in, disturbing as that may be I think it is important that this aspect which has come into play of suicide is an awful cancer within our society mm-hmm. and you know you know the more you know more talk about it more awareness has proved to be beneficial because it helps alert people about maybe uh, modes of behavior whatever else but also the aspect where parents who are in that suicidal ideation mindset decide they're going to bring their their child with them as some sort of a you know take them away from the hurt as well and I don't know, we haven't had much discussion or, or debate even about that. And bringing that into the equation maybe is a healthy thing because we saw it's not that long ago where an individual took, took out their whole family as well yeah. as themselves. And there was a whole, everybody sought to want to understand that. And then there was a backlash uh, kind of through, you know, in mainstream media and social media about this guy was very heartless. And it swung like a pendulum. And we need to actually have more reason. It's discussions. the discussion whether you should yeah. venerate somebody who was responsible for something like this or whether you should understand them for whatever mental torment. And it's probably yeah. a balance in the middle. I also think it's a little unfair to say there was a backlash in the media. There was a backlash in people's minds reported in the media. And, you know, let's make that distinction. This cannot just be about the newspapers reported it, therefore it is bad. No, no, um, I'm not saying that. It's a it Selective. It it's a mirror. So if there were people, say in that incident um, or in this one, who are either saying, gosh, that poor woman, what terrible thing she was going through, or, you know, uh, you know, somebody who would do that is incredibly selfish and, and how dare they. The media's job is to reflect those points of views. Now, people can read the headline and go, well, I knew him or her and therefore it is really, really grossly unfair. But... But you see, like the media's job is to reflect what people are saying, so it, doing, it, it, and thinking it, it, on the ground. It was reflective yeah. at the time what of what ha- when it happened Correct. because people couldn't understand it. And then yes. as time went on, they changed yes. their opinion. And for every person, and the media doesn't aid or abet that. The media mm. goes along that path with people. Well, I, I now, argue, sometimes it can be irresponsible, and it can give some context and analysis because that's the thing we expect. There was nothing but analysis media. in that case, though, Declan. But mm. professional media, there were pages more of so it. Than, yeah, but to put it into a context so that it's not you were saying their duty or their role is to report what people are saying. That's only part of it. It is the context. That's what we all expect from mainstream media because you certainly don't have that in social media and that's the key, that's the essence of my point. There there was a second, different story but it was a similar vein on the front of the Sunday World. I miss her so much which was Emily Barrett's father 
um, couldn't face attending the trial of his ex, Dr. Bernadette Scully. And, and that is a story that has been discussed at length this week as well. Uh, it has. And analysed and actually brought up, I think, a very useful conversation. Not that it'll probably make a, a, a whit of difference on the role of carers and the role of the disabled in society. And the pressure and how the carers are under. Correct. And also this idea that, you know, carer, being a carer is something like you know, somehow a charity. And it's the way we outsource all our support for disability funding. We do it because it's charitable. Well, that's not good enough. Children or or adults who are vulnerable in this society either have rights or they do not have rights. And we've seen it with all the charity scandals that have come up between rehab and and Mm -hmm. all the others that have come up and console. Like, you know, why are people who are in distress or who in need of of care from our community treated like charity cases? Mm -hmm. Um, And and the government has this kind of semi-detached policy of funding them but not being responsible for them. I don't think that's entirely fair. I mean, I, I, I think there has been uh, over uh, over a long period um, a movement um, in in kind of social mores from a point where you know sixty years ago seventy years ago everybody thought the family was the place where people were looked after mm-hmm. to an expanding role for what we consider to be the duties of the welfare state. Um, and but, yeah, we're now we're now finding that there are there are areas that the welfare state should look after that are only becoming more apparent well, the diff- now. The difference there's being also, there's also the some some uh, kind of physical um, and, and health difficulties that are becoming a bit more common now than they used to be for, yeah. for, for, for a number the problem of reasons. was that some people would have been institutionalised. They would have been taken away from the family yes. and, and they would have been in, in pretty bad conditions. But the movement has been quite rightly that they move at home. But with the resources yeah. haven't necessarily followed them. Followed yeah. them. Yeah. And, and it's rather depressing, Sinead, and you, you actually hit the nail on the head saying you don't know whether anything is going to come out of this. Because mm. I don't think it will. No, I think that I mean, this story will be you can relegated to a conference. footnote of 2016. Yeah, and this this lady in, in this Irish girl in uh, London who, who has... has uh, been responsible for the death of her child and indeed then um, her own suicide uh, do you know like even by midweek next week there'll be some coverage at the funeral and then it'll be gosh that was another one and it'll be some media organisation or some newspaper in a year's time where they're doing a roundup of this or a, or a look at this or the numbers related to that we'll bring that up and everybody will go oh yeah do you remember that woman That's, that'll be the beginning and end of the conversation because nothing new is being done that I can see to, to prevent that is preventable and you're not going to prevent all is, these cases There is of course the, 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 the insuperable problem in my mind that we can never really hope to get inside the origins of suicidal ideation I mean we have and they are heartrending cases uh, cases where, where, where people who have been under so much pressure as carers that they finally crack mm. there have also been cases where where these tragedies have happened for reasons other than uh, the kind of pressures that come from caring, financial pressures, yeah. uh, social pressures, and you know th- they all have in common mm-hmm. that it's pretty. It seems to be pretty impossible for anybody outside that immediate situation to understand where the suicidal ideation comes from, and how. In, in, in the awful cases that extends to other members of the family but, but they can you can address a lot of things from a cultural point of view I mean we, you know mindsets have changed about what's acceptable what isn't acceptable yeah. over the last 30 to 50 years in this country about a lot of different things uh, what I'm getting at here is it's not just about the individual with the mindset it's about those around them and those are you know we all have duty of care to our, our, our families our our 
colleagues, you know, and people in our circle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thinking that, okay, right, Sinead isn't having a good day today or whatever else. Like, if I'm a colleague, if I'm a close friend of, of Sinead's, if I'm a little, as regards reading this kind of stuff and the way it's highlighted, if I'm a little bit more attuned mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. and that I just say the right thing to her at the right time it can make a huge difference yeah. and that's that's feedback from people and, that and have had su- suicidal that's the collective yeah. thing yeah. And that, yeah. that's where societally we have to move and unfortunately whether the state will be the ones who will bring us there I don't yeah. know and, the and actually that goes back to the very first point we were talking about which is social media because there is far you know we might be in more communication but there's a lot less contact yeah. so I like I know from my own kids ages um, that they consider Facebook, Messenger, um, uh, Snapchat, all those to be valid, complete forms of communication in the mm. way that the three of us, four of yeah. us sitting around talking is a valid. But but of course, there's a whole chunk of it missed out. You're missing out eye signals. You're missing mm. out, you know, that kind of aura coming off somebody or the feeling yeah. about it. Yeah. And you don't get that. But yet, are, has this generation been, been uh, created whereby that is the same as actual human contact. And I think for a lot of them, it is the same. Mm. Without, it, without it, it actually being. Yeah. The in same. the same way that friends on Facebook is the same as friends yeah. in real life. Yeah. 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 Let's move on to some of the stories on the insides of the paper. 53106, the number for your text messages, by the way. And we'll come to some of those messages coming in in just a while. Uh, Meath County Council. Ah. Sinead, you're from Meath. I'm gutted. 4.3 million. Who knew? Where's oh. our parks? Oh, the Why po- isn't the pothole outside my house? I was going to say, the pothole outside your house uh, could be filled. Could be filled with cash by the sounds of it. It's outrageous. What is after happening here? Okay, well, what what appears to have happened, so this is a cyber attack, and Declan's the expert here in this, but cyber attack. So, but instead of, um, you know, some spotty teenager in Korea f- hacking into a bank and swiping all the money out of the counter, in this case in Meath County Council's uh, coffers, uh, what appears to have happened is that an email was generated to the CEO of Meath County Council to a lower level functionary uh, which purported to be from um, uh, Jackie Maguire, who's the CEO, to say, look, um, hi there, you know, Bill, uh, can you transfer as a matter of urgency 4.3 million to such and such an account? This is monies that is due out, blah, blah, blah. So the email looked so real and valid but and honestly from the address mm-hmm. that, that this uh, this clerk, uh, whoever it was, said, grand, that looks, that looks real and attempted or started the transfer process of that money. It was picked up out, like once it had kind of left but not landed if you like um, although any money that leaves my account seems to land almost immediately um, <laughs> not, <laughs> not always the going. other way around yeah. 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 Even the 4.3 million at your disposal it now. was intercepted and possibly you know may only have been intercepted because of the sheer amount involved I mean Meath County Council has obviously at most county councils a massive budget you know hundreds of millions of euro that is used for all kinds of things 4.3 million is a huge amount of money but maybe in the overall scheme of things if the if the scammers had gone for 1 million or 500,000 I've no doubt that that maybe that check and balance or well, that query I mean, wouldn't to, have to, been raised. To, 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 to look for a little bit of a silver lining in the cloud this may, uh, we, we don't know the whole story, this may have been picked up because somewhere along the line one of the banks or the channels the money went through picked up under its anti-money laundering yeah. mm. um, yeah. regulations uh, what had happened and that's why the account uh, is now frozen. We have to, we have well, to say by the way that The only thing is sorry it happened on the 28th of October. Yeah. Now we're, we're in December now so A why is, it, why is it only coming to light now and B you know this isn't an IT glitch the way sometimes these things are written off you know that It, it wasn't was an extra zero added to an account this Correct. was an, 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 we this have to point out Meath County Council 
nobody yeah. in Meath County human. Council has done anything uh, apart from being caught by a yeah. fraudster here. We have to em- emphasize uh, that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that alone actually nearly makes it more frightening because whatever checks and balances should have been there or could have been there, I don't know what they can do now about this because, um, you know, if, if you are in a role where you're working in an IT finance department and your job, the very thing you go in to do nine to five every single day is to move money about, you know, at what point would you expect this person, you know, or any any uh, department like that to say, actually, we should not move this one, but we should move that one. Declan, you're, you are the expert in this area. Um, is this common? Is what? this is this a way that these guys have worked out now that they can catch people who maybe on a Monday morning mightn't uh, might might look at this and say, oh, well, that is the CEO and I am being done here. Well, first of all, let me say, I, I wouldn't uh, be the best person to comment on it from a technical point of view. But then I'm not a, a cyber security expert by any stretch of the imagination. But then this isn't really about cyber security. It's about it's about the human factor. And that's the most interesting part of this. What you know, what will happen and I'm sure has happened already is an examination of the protocols that uh, the county, Meath County Council have mm-hmm. about movement of that money and uh, how how this got um, uh, infected, if you like, or um, penetrated. Uh, now, they're not the only organisation to have had something embarrassing like that happen to them. An organisation as uh, strong in security as NATO not that long ago, some years ago, was penetrated by the Chinese, where they set up a fake a series of um, Facebook sites for senior officials and officers in, uh, in the NATO organisation. And they sent out um, <laughs> offers to join uh, to you know, middle-ranking officers, and there's you know, General Jonathan Healy has asked me to be his friend. Well, I better, you know, that's that's a good career move kind of thing, and it was a very clever thing with social engineering. What the Chinese were doing, they were, uh, by by doing that, by you uh, being lured into that Facebook Facebook a uh, false Facebook site, and uh, they were getting access to your personal email and through that into your official. Uh, emails that you're using. So a whole raft of people in NATO had to be considered compromised. Now, the same principle, I would argue, is what's happened here, where somebody did a little bit of, you know, estimate of the situation with regards to how Mead, somebody did a bit of intelligence. So, somebody, somebody knew what they were doing. Yeah. This, this wasn't mm. a general from Africa saying, my uncle has yeah. left exactly. me. Exactly. It, it, it was absolutely not that. So either either there was a a security problem within the county council itself where somebody took advantage of a situation to let information out or somebody targeted them <laughs> with a very active, like, a little bit like the way tiger kidnappings work, where people look at an organisation, they find a weak point in it in terms of an individual who has access to cash. This is a variation on that theme and that's, and to go back to um, Sinead's point, the most disturbing aspect of this is that it isn't technical because mm. if it was technical, mm. you could find it and plug it. Mm. <laughs> Alan, uh, again, with, with your experience of the banking world, the money we are told is resting in Hong Kong um, and, and the bank there is going through due diligence to make sure it is Meath County yes. Council's money. Yeah. Is it easy to get that kind of money back quickly or, or is there a bit of uh, weight on Meath's there, There'll be a bit of a weight because uh, the bank in Hong Kong is going to do um, extreme due diligence to make sure that they don't incur any liability for it and they are going to want to track back what channels the money came through to see if from their point of view those channels are secure 
or if they're vulnerable now that the money got in that way and uh, <coughs> you know they they will need to know that something concrete is being done at this end to prevent it happening again so that they don't get caught with any liability. On the plus side interest rates in Hong Kong are much higher than they are here so <laughs> maybe we might make a few bob and have a transfer. Well the only thing is can you imagine how Might be better investment than how, whatever Meath how County bad Council was doing. The people in Meath County Council had when they found the money was missing I and had to call in the guards and had to go through and actually, the Actually you know you would feel sorry for the clerks who are working in the department where this actually was perpetrated. Not not the chief executive and the councillors who are all by the way jumping on the bandwagon about this is terrible and something should be done. Yeah. But but kind of that if you were if you were kind of going in it was your you know you're 25 30 years mm-hmm. of age or in your second third job you're coming in you're do you're pushing paper around you're pushing money you're transferring things on computers and suddenly to have this come at you how yeah, would but you the, feel but the internal protocols are going to have to be looked yeah, at again but imagine, I, imagine I a major a major house building project yeah. Yeah. Um, which comes to the final stage and the final payment has to be made to whoever has been contracted yeah. to do it uh, people there are going to be very careful about making those kind of payments True, but this isn't at the clerk level that we need to oh, be yeah, examining yeah. it. Like, well, yeah, it's, 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 there is no way that any of those individuals would have, would have, have the been I, be, I yeah. believe that it's the further cor- up the line. The corporate yeah. speak on the back of this, there will be learning from this exercise. Yeah. And the learning will be worthwhile. Um, we have to move to politics um, in just a few minutes' time because poor Alzheimer Govney and Leo Radker will have been Bless. sitting their cornflakes We're out this morning to. looking at the front page of the Sunday Independent, which will come to next. Hmm. Lots of comments coming in uh, on our discussion on social media there to begin with. Um, cannot understand why the papers publish these personal stories. Well, well, they do because they are stories and they are news and they're a way of furthering the story that perhaps wouldn't have been there 10 years ago. But you have to ask the question, is it any different to the reportage that would come from the funeral where we often report on on homilies and we often report on tributes that are paid from the altar. So is it any different to that? It just happens a few days earlier. Um, I, I feel that people who use social media such as Facebook to show off their image or update their successes are in fact self-gratifying. Our society has become quite narcissistic says one leader. We idolise the idiotic aspects of our celebrities and therefore seek to ape these people. We are self-indulgent and it is a case of the emperor has no clothes. Uh, Roger texted in. Good morning Roger. Having taken a Lewis full of young people home yesterday for all of them with their head downs in silence on phones I thought it would be a good idea to have a national heads up day where everyone wouldn't use their phones for anything <laughs> other than phone calls a day not to text a day to talk and not to text we're looking Roger. at online newspapers go <laughs> buy a paper <laughs> but there's that wonderful picture from, taken from a platform on the tube in the 50s and they contrasted it with a photograph taken from the tube now where in the 50s they all had the paper out in front of them yeah. and now they all have the phone out in front of them so all it is is just moved it onto a smaller device Isn't yeah. this a little bit like the debate I used to or not even debate but the uh, things that used to be said when I was a young fellow and the Christian brothers back uh, in, in primary school and used to talk about watching the television all the time is bad for you and you Make need your to eyes go square. turn it off for two uh, you know, don't you watch it for an hour every evening these kinds of things now we thought that was lunacy because it was a great delicacy if you like getting to yeah. watch the television and this is at a time when it used to go off at around 11 or 11.30. So to this generation who have been reared with social media and online access and instant Wi-Fi or whatever else, it's the same thing. There's anybody who's saying anything else to them, it's as daft to them as telling them not to watch I, I, television. I caught myself doing it recently. Uh, the, the small lad was too close to the telly and I let out the your eyes are going to go square at which I was met with hilarity <laughs> yeah. from yeah. to the children going why would my eyes go square? <laughs> that makes no sense. Listener uh, says He didn't tell you you just lifted your eyes from your, your <laughs> mobile phone. I probably he? had just yeah. done that as well. Uh, more importantly studies are showing there is an empathy deficit 
selfish but younger kids as a result of increased time on social media and computers and less time having physical interact I completely disagree with that I think kids young kids are way more empathetic nowadays than we would have been and way more understanding and open well this this is really about whether we believe that one skill is replacing another I mean as human beings I you know we're taught by by our own parents how to behave what to do now if parents are sitting around the table and they have their phones out and dinner time is just you know peppered by a burst of laughter at something you see on YouTube while you shovel food into you and you're not talking to your kids you know it's no, no wonder then they're going to grow up doing exactly the same thing but most parents do not do that. Most mm. families function the way families have always functioned, mm. with everybody trying to look out for each other, a bit of yelling here and there, lots of laughter, and people get on with it. And and social media is part and absorbed into that. Um, it, it's not, I, I don't know, I think it's a little early to say in the evolution of human nature that it has replaced right. relationships. But there is that danger that the balance is out of kilter from time to time. It may have elected Trump, so it's not all good. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll give you one now, Sinead, because you, you've been given a bit of criticism. Get off your high horse, Sinead. Were you on your oh, high horse? I get that a lot. Systems get attacked every day. This is in relation to hacking. Some are successful. End of says a listener so you, you can take sorry I, I, this is highly personal listener I am in Meath I do have a pothole outside my house <laughs> and by the way when all the four local do- authorities in Dublin reduced their property tax by 15% Meath County Council kept theirs at exactly the same level and has shown no inclination it is very poor it can't even run a parks department and yet it has I don't know I want to know where this 4.3 million was destined to go and and if I believe it was the right spend of money mm-hmm. so yeah. it's, it's entirely so can't be sure any of it was going to end up in your pothole <laughs> we, we, we need to bring the ladder in because the horse got a little yeah. higher there I suspect <laughs> During that, um, but one for you, Alan, from Paul. Um, Alan, I have to challenge your view. The point made about carers is a fair point. Uh, the care of the disabled in Ireland is not rights-based, as it is in other European countries. And as a leading politician, you should know this. This results with parents uh, such as I having to go with a begging bowl to get fundamental services. My son is 15. To date, we have not had a single hour of respite granted to us. In other countries, it's a recognised right. So I don't. Yeah, you, you didn't set out to offend In other Paul, countries, it's it's not a recognised right in the terms of being written into the constitution. It's legally provided for because other countries have been better at developing their their health and caring services than we have. There is a campaign here; it's still going. I remember a meeting fourteen years ago. Uh, where there was a big call to have uh, rights for disabled people written into our constitution. And I remember a lot of politicians were, 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 were keen to have that. Uh, I was against it at the time uh, because I feel we, we shouldn't require constitutional lawyers to make these decisions for us. And I was against it because we have so many cases in our own relatively recent history where there have been unintended consequences from all kinds of constitutional action. If you want to do something worthwhile, and I passionately believe we should do an awful lot more to help people who deal with disabilities, we do it by making the choices on how we spend the money that we have and how we tailor our policies, particularly in the health sector. Okay, very good. Let's move on to politics uh, proper, if I can use that phrase. Kenny is set to lead Fine Gael in next election. That headline will be, as I said, upsetting to those pretenders to the Fine Gael throne. Um, But it is a suggestion uh, from Jodie Cochran that Enda will lead the party if if it falls. That's a lovely story for, for, for people who obviously you'd have much else to do on a Saturday afternoon but to write these kind of daft stories I mean I'm not just getting at journalists I think um, 
politicians should wise up a little bit on this. There are a couple of people in Fine Gael who come out every so often and they say, well, we want Enda at least to tell us when he's going to go. <laughs> Completely ignoring the fact that the moment a leader of any organisation says, I'm going to go at X date in the future, nobody listens to that That's person it, anymore. Redundant. Look at the last year of... Uh, a US president's second term of office is a lame duck, uh, almost irrelevant. You can't get anything done. Uh, I think if, if a leader of a political party has decided to go before the next election, then what she or he should do is to make a decision in his own mind that at some point when the Doyle goes into recess, that he or she will announce the day after they go into recess, I'm gone, now you have X number of weeks to, to, to get a new leader. But do, I think do, do you that's think the that's only valid is, way you can do it. Is that going now, to happen Sorry, in let, this me, case. let me make another point. The other issue is that uh, some people are saying that, God, oh yeah, end will be still there. Uh, we'll be stuck with him because there'll be a snap election. Um, I can't see uh, how it would make sense for anybody um, unless things were really bad, like Francois Hollande, for example, uh, to say if a snap election happens, um, you don't want the in okay. situ leader because uh, the smoothest thing yeah. would be that to have to deal and with then two you things. Have people who say, well, maybe we could have an interim leader, you know. But if you appoint somebody uh, specifically as an interim leader of any party or organisation, that person's not going to have any authority at all. Well, like Harriet, Harriet, Harriet Harman and the Labour Party is a prime example of that. Well, uh, yes, she yeah. stood in and then Corbyn stood in and well, the party I mean, fell look, apart. Look what happened to you, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they've had three in as many but, days. I, mean, I, I think that's the kind of story that, that is always entertaining to have, you know, and you pull it out on a slow news day and speculate about it. Well, well, well I, I, mean, I don't people, think that's entirely fair. been talking about Simon Covey during this week uh, and really, you know, the hard-bitten political commentators uh, I think will understand this. I think Simon Covey was doing a job and going back on my own experience of this, even before I was leader of Fine Gael, I think most of the time, most politicians are so stretched that they are doing the job. And most ministers have very little time to think about an awful lot else other than the, the, the job they're doing and how it fits in. Oh, to, I, to I'm sure the they're having a few brain cells concentrated on this story, Alan. I mean, certainly uh, the, the two uh, um, leaders in waiting. But but I think the they reason that this is a story... don't spend as much time thinking about it as the media think they I, do. Well, what makes this a story is the fact that Enda had already come out and said publicly exactly yeah. what you say that he should, no leader should do and said, I will be gone. I will be hightailing it. Give me a while. It'll all work out and we'll, I'll, I'll be heading for the hills. So for him to come around now and say, well, actually, no, I didn't really mean it and I'm, I'm really happy here. Um, that's the story. He had already mm. announced it. He just we just didn't have a date on it. Mm. And now it's vague and ambiguous and maybe he'll see in the Pope and the next election and all this kind of stuff. Do you know, it's it's not whether it's good or bad, it's the fact that, that it's a U turn. That's that's the news. The, the, but the real question is is when is Enda going to go? And the, the, a story like this perpetuates that discussion because yeah. we don't know when he's going to go. Is he going to hang around for the Pope in 2018? Are they going to fall over something in March? Well, Martin the real question might say from his perspective, Jonathan, is the, the question from his point of view is, well, why the hell should I? What, like, what is precipitating a go? He, he, he came back from the last election. If he was going to go at any time, that was the time because they had failed miserably to regain the seats that they wanted and needed and hoped for. Um, they weren't patted on the back by the electorate in any sense. And this hung parliament, this nonsense uh, cobbled together coalition that we seem to have with, with the tail wagging the dog, 
if he hasn't gone by now, he must be sitting at home in Caspar saying, well, well, sure, look, I mean, what's the problem now? Why? Mm. Where's the heave? If there was a genuine heave, it would have been what happened the last time this happened. Well, when I Richard think Bruton immediately after the election would have been absolutely the wrong time yeah. to go. Yeah, so uh, why, he's sitting yeah. back now and saying, well, why should I now? I mean, if he I, and I Simon want to walk up against him, let them at it. It's probably unwise of him to say that he mightn't be around for the next election. I mean, I, I, I think... Uh, politicians frequently miss a great opportunity to keep their mouth shut uh, about about some of these things. Uh, is, is the question really though? When? How long will the current government last? But that is the question yeah. because I think that's really that will decide when, yeah. whether Enda Kenny stays. Uh, yeah. or there's not talking about leading them in in five yeah. years' yeah. time. I, mean, the, the I don't issue, think anybody really expects to see him. Uh, you know, the issue in, could well be resolved um, by the electorate. Now, I mean, there's the other issue of, of you know what's all this business about new politics. Uh, and for once in my politics, life, Alan. although I would new politics <laughs> for once in my life and uh, it very rarely happens although I wouldn't use the same language on the radio I think Jerry Adams said it uh, th- this week Oh, he said, "New politics, Mayors. I think there's an awful lot of nonsense talked about new yeah, politics. I think it's probably to the, my most, mind, yeah, the most to my mind, new politics being the kind of combination we have in the Doyle now, which was thrown up mm. by the last election. Mm. New politics means that most sensible decisions are going to take far longer yeah. uh, to get made yeah. than they did before, uh, longer than they need to take." Uh, because there's so much jockeying mm. among hugely diverse groups. Tom Halliday has a cartoon on the back of um, the Sunday Indo today next to uh, Gene Kerrigan's column. And I, I, it kind of sums it up because it has two men up ladders, one of whom is Barry Cowan, one of whom is Simon Coveney. They are above a Christmas tree that all the needles have fallen off and they're fighting over whether they're putting a fairy or an angel on the top when in reality they're both doing the same thing. And, and the question I found myself asking watching all of this nonsense play out during the week was this is the kind of rubbish that has been rejected by the electorate. That this idea of, well, no, well, we're right, no, well, we're right, when in reality they're doing the same thing. Uh, and I don't think it's done either party any favours, Declan. Well, it's no, not I, that I, it has been rejected um, by the electorate. Uh, the circumstances in which that happens were created by the electorate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I think the electorate got what it looked for the last time. Uh, and now uh, they're stuck with it for the time being. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there was anything great about the, the so-called new politics at all. Having said that, though, I don't think a best needs would have been served had there been a, a, a Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael coalition. And that's because uh, I think you know, we're, it, it, we're a while yet before I would like to see Sinn Féin be the main party of opposition. I think they've, uh, you know, they're, they're working through a lot of things and maybe hopefully they'll eventually come out their other end and be a grown-up party. But they've a bit, they've a bit of house cleaning to do yet. Uh, at least so, switch their leader. Well, yeah, I, I, and a few other things to boot. The whiff of cordite still follows them around the place, whether mm. they like it or not. But to go back to the point about the new politics thing, one of the things that irritates me hugely about it is uh, on one hand you've got experienced politics politicians who are trying to do you know, do their work and they know what they're about. And then you have a bunch of people who elected to go into government, right? And they seem to be kind of think it's okay to serve an apprenticeship to learn what cabinet responsibility is. You're in government now. You're wearing the boots. Do the job. Stop trying to be at the table and not at the table at the yeah. same time. I, for one, am profoundly sick of that. And I think it's a waste of their salary when they carry on like that. Yeah. You can't be in the opposition, opposed to the government you're serving and in the government you're serving at the same time. And actually, the whole codology this week around the rent control bill and the legislation that Simon Coveney is attempting to bring in, which is, uh, albeit 
it, tinkering at the edges, but it's an important tinkering and it has to be done because the big decisions can't be made yet. Um, for Fianna Fáil to come in and try and scupper that purely and solely on the basis of politics. There was absolutely no financial or social requirement on them to try and scupper this bill. And they wanted to stay up till midnight, two in the morning, talking about this thing. Nobody, by the way, suggested, let's all troop into the Dáil next week on our holidays and discuss this properly. Uh, And it it was an attempt to hijack something that most people looked at and said, actually, that's not a bad idea. No, it does not solve all the problems. No, it does not fix everything. There will still be people homeless this Christmas. But it was something that needed to be done. Coveney took the call on it. It wasn't a bad thing that was done. It may have done some help. And Fianna Fáil came in and said, do you know what? Just because it's a good idea and just because mm-hmm. you proposed it, let's create a problem. Well, I, I, must say, I, I agree with Sinead very largely there. I mean, what has been done is, is, is only a start I think a useful piece of work has been done and I think uh, along the way uh, there were a couple of people who showed that they actually take their job as deputies seriously uh, I mean a flaw was found oh, no, in the presentation did, did a very Fine. good job actually week. that yeah. was social yeah. democrats they, they need to get the credit for yeah. this they picked up that, that uh, sums um, thing that sent Covey off to bed with his abacus before that's, oh, no, that's did. members of the Doyle doing their job yes. And my understanding yes. is that Simon Coveney said, yeah, oh yes, that was wrong. Thank you very much for pointing it out. Let's get on now, with it. Now, if that is a new politics, that is the, actually the only glimmer of something you could call new politics well, that we I have seen. It's, it's not unknown. It's happened. <laughs> you know, it's, it's happened in the past. But I, I, I think that's, that's a, a, very, it's a very worthwhile thing that that has been done. Now, I think the Doyle and, and, and other people involved need to get down to a much more serious job of reflecting on how we meet the needs of a population that are different now from from the days when everybody could aspire to owning their own home once they got married. Do we need to change that aspiration? Yeah, but the, the if we, we, we clearly do. Or, or, uh, or, or the way we go about it, because oh, yes. you're absolutely right. I agree with you on that. How many young people, because of that cultural impulse we have, you know, got a millstone hung around their yes, neck at really. a time of their lives when they should be developing and professionally, travelling for it, and, yeah, exactly. and stuck yeah. in the wrong kind of house? Okay, we, we'll park that there for the minute. We will come back to this, by the way. Michael Martin with us after eleven o'clock. I want to just read out one text because it's in the social media context we talked about earlier. Una got in contact with the program. Good morning, Una. I had a birthday yesterday. One phone call and text from everybody else. Most texts just said happy birthday. A few years ago, people would actually have spoken. Things are not the same. Can we please wish Una a happy birthday? As the spoken word. This Una, morning. happy birthday, happy birthday for everybody happy in the birthday, studio. Una. There you go, Una. It's a good one. You're a week away from Christmas. You get two batches of presents. That's not bad. Well, at least we didn't break into song. <laughs> <laughs> On our panel, Alan Duke, Sinead Ryan and Declan Power. And we'll come back to them in a moment because we are joined by his greatness, Richie McCormick. How are you? Ah, would you stop there? Yeah, Come on. Give you the right Come title on. and introduction. You're getting far too flahoolic with the Christmas. <laughs> um, what have you got coming up uh, on Off the Ball, first of all? And then we go to the papers. Yeah, two live games this afternoon. I suppose the uh, the primary one being Manchester City versus Arsenal. I mean, there's just a point between them in the Premier League table, third and fourth as we speak at the moment, with Arsenal just ahead of City. But... I don't know, there seems to be a world of difference in terms of their progress and how they're heading towards the, the league season. Now, granted, Arsenal took a hell of a speed bump against Everton during the week when, again, questions of their mental fragility and uh, toughness on the pitch came into question because Everton started that game pretty poorly. Crowder against them, 
they hadn't seen great things from their side over the course of the previous, I suppose, six to seven games. And Arsenal wilted under the pressure of the building Everton uh, powerhouse that was the other night. So, be interested to see how they react against the Manchester City side who managed to plug the gaps during the week because their defence had been brought into question hugely, and rightly so, because they were they're playing this three at the back system that just didn't seem to suit them didn't seem to suit the players that were there and there seemed to be some confusion over how they're going to set forward their, their tactical plan for the rest of the year OK two big games this afternoon look forward to those uh, What the main story on the front of the sports page is anything stand out today? Yeah there's bits and pieces knocking around today I mean a lot of the tabloid back pages go with uh, Antonio Conte's picture because Chelsea are really steamrolling towards the uh, top of the Premier League now they're what uh, nine points clear at the top the 11th straight victory in a row they're heading towards the Invincibles records from uh, 2000 that was a very dangerous time of the year to be talking yeah. about that. But invincible, yeah, we're at, uh, invincible. No, clearly they've uh, they've already dropped points, but uh, they're they're in that kind of mould whereby they're reeking out these results and they're looking very very good in doing so. Now, granted, they go into two games over the Christmas period, whereby the first of which they'll have Diego Costa and Golo Kante, probably the two most influential players, suspended because they picked up yellow cards yesterday that are going to rule them out at that game of Bournemouth uh, coming up next week on Stevens Day. So. There will be a real test for them to see how they adapt to that, but they look imperious at the moment as well. As more reaction as well to the story that came out yesterday in the Irish Independent to the Mayo letter about uh, Pat Holmes and Noel Kennelly, the former managers, who were ousted by player power, and the uh, ousted managers decided to speak uh, to Martin Brehney yesterday. There's a reaction to that. Uh, Eamon Sweeney's writing about it in the Sindo today as well. What kind of impact? Like, we're obviously a good bit away from the start of the Championship, yeah. not too far away from the start of the league. The league's a league, though, Jonathan. You know? uh, yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> But uh, how, what impact is that going to have on the mindset? Because for me, if I was a player, which I'm not, obviously not, uh, but that would fire me up. That would make me want to do more. Yeah. It, again, we talked about mental fragility with Arsenal. There seems to be an element of that. There's a good point made by by, uh, by Sweeney in his piece today where he's talking about Dara O'Shea and he talks about the mental anguish that Kerry players would go through when they perform badly like when they just underperformed they would go off and be almost a dark night of the soul thing and trying to gain some redemption on the pitch again have next much more experience of feeling that way but I think there seems to be a sense that it's more especially with the stuff that was highlighted in the letter to the two managers it's all surface stuff that seems to be bothering the Mayo players mm. there's, there's no real deep meaningful issues about how they go about rectifying these results and how they make that step towards Northern Ireland so uh, it's an interesting situation they find themselves in uh, but before you head away you, you um, hear Star Wars fan not the biggest, actually, no. Really? I no. would have thought you would be big. No, no, for some reason it just never registered when I was a kid. But uh, the younger one's at home now. The eldest is a, is a Star Wars nut. So I went to fan. see Rogue One last night. Any use? It is really, really good. I don't know anyone else Star Wars fan. Declan, I look to you in the hope that you might be a Star Wars fan, <laughs> well, ignoring the you other might two might as well shout nerd at somebody's answer. I had to send my godson down his present, so I was reliably informed that Rogue One stuff was uh, yes. Gear. Um, but I wanted to ask you a question when you went to say so did uh, was this the one w- that Skelligs was uh, no this isn't Skelligs is in the one that's coming out either next Christmas or the Christmas after we're not sure but it, it was in the first one this it was in the last one very briefly at the end but this is a prequel to the first one so in the series it's about 3.5 I can see Sinead's <laughs> eyes glazing over here it's like a provisional Star Wars <laughs> film, isn't it? The way to make movies now is to make to make a terrific movie about something, and then make a movie about how they got, got to there. where they were. In this well, one. Yeah, yeah. And, and then and make a movie about how they got to where they were, to where they were before they. They have the done some there. very clever things visually yeah. in this. That again, I won't go into because there are spoilers, and even though none of you give a flying monkeys, but there will be those well, going the to see. The reason it today. I don't like that, I've, I've no interest in, in Star Wars, but I have a huge interest in Star Trek, and uh, and I absolutely love those kind of space 
these futuristic dramas. I adored Arrivals. I'm still trying to work out how, how you know, what actually happened there. You know, I had to get my kid to explain to me what was going on at the end of it. But uh, no, I do. I love all that kind of stuff. It's just the Star Wars thing never, never kind okay. of registered. Yeah, but Star Trek is very low tech compared to Star Wars. Wait, <laughs> see, Alan, you haven't, you've got me. You have me nailed. That's it. Low tech. Adam, Richie, go out and review um, that Rogue right, One for, yeah. for Off the Ball this afternoon. Thank you very much, Richie McCormick. Off the Ball with us uh, at 12 o'clock after this very programme. Um, the Sunday Times, I mentioned it earlier on, uh, has this shocking first person account from Aleppo. Um, Declan Power, the world has watched in horror at what's been going on and we've seen ambulances come mm. under fire and we've seen mortars go off and we've seen the images we've become immune to images of children covered in dust yeah. and blood coming from their heads how have we got to the point at which now that we still have not evacuated everybody who wants to get out of eastern Aleppo well you see these things only work according to the amount of force you can project that's the sad honest truth and I would say you know the, the, the jadedness that you've described, it was ever thus. I mean, you know, back to the lead up to the Second World War, even though media was quite different then. Uh, but people were aware of people being persecuted and trying to get out of places. But if you can't project force in there, you can't guarantee an evacuation. Mm. And, you know, that story is very emblematic of the realities of the messiness of a ceasefire and trying to move people and you've got these disparate, badly disciplined and coordinated armed groups as are the Syrian the Syrian military who uh, have been given orders maybe but by the time they percolate down and depends on what kind of people pass for officers or NCOs with them they're abusing people. Now that, that story it's and pretty similarly harrowing. with the groups on the other side. Well, yes, uh, yeah, I agree. There's, but there's, there's two quick points I'll make with that. One, <coughs> it resonated with me, a personal experience when I uh, was attached to the UN in Darfur of organising an evacuation that wasn't as bad as that. But I did see the Sudanese authorities really throw their weight around. And there were NGOs. They were, they were uh, kicking out a number of leaderships from different NGOs and uh, making them persona non grata. They yeah, abused them. They bet them up. They stole their computers, their mobile phones, their vehicles. It was, you know, a mass outbreak of larceny amongst the so-called local forces of law and order. Now, the, the thing about it is that when you have extreme examples like you see in the Sunday Times and other articles that are in the Sunday Indo about this, this is where the extremism is being bred. This is where the genus of extremism. Alan made the point about the other side uh, being just as bad. You're right. But when people think, oh, if we could just get a ceasefire, uh, you know, you'd stop the fighting. And I'd agree, a ceasefire would be a step in the right direction. But then you've the ordinary Syrians caught between the brutality. If they're experiencing the brutality of the Assad regime, like we saw, then they look on ISIS you know, in a different way to that they see something different to what we see or when they see an Al-Qaeda inspired organisation because they see them fighting alongside them. So the the international community, if they were really serious about wanting to stop extremism, it's retarding these things. And, you know, the ideal situation should be a a deployment of some sort of a UN mandated force that would have a secure corridor for these people to get out. But there's no will. Like the EU have uh, created battle groups of which we're a part and they never go anywhere. They try and they train and they train and there'll never be any deployment because there's too much lily liver thinking within the European Union and within the UN about this but and that's exactly what they were created for is it because but I, th- I think there's, there's uh, that's common sense what, what you're saying uh, that th- there has been absolute stasis in the West on making any real political decisions about even short term things like trying to guarantee uh, safety of evacuations but there is a much more fundamental problem here that the West is never going to be able to solve. And that is this huge rift between Sunni and Shia within Islam. 
Yeah. Uh, and that's that's where the problem comes from. I mean, and, and I, 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 I'm probably enraged an awful lot of people when I say this, but it seems to me that Islam today is where Christianity was, you know, several hundred years ago when it was breaking into different sects. And, you know, there was a justifiable war of one part of Christianity against another part of Christianity. And until that is resolved we are going to have outbreaks of this kind of terrible violence again and again. And, and to add, sorry, just as you said it there, Anna, to add to that, that what we, the difference in this era is how connected it is, because yeah. you have this violence happening, this personalised violence happening in, uh, in the back streets of Aleppo, and that is having a direct effect that we don't know exactly how it will manifest itself in the streets of Europe yeah. in the next six months, maybe? Because the news travels quicker. Yeah, and it's, it's yeah. motivating people, and it's motivating people to move into the Salafist area within Islam, which is where the danger lies for us. When you look at some of the photographs emerging, just from the human side of this, from Aleppo and other cities here, it is such a classic example of somebody having you know, won the battle and lost the war. Yes, um, Bashar al-Assad may have got this city back, but what he has actually got is looks like no more than a pile of rocks yeah. with dead bodies lying underneath it. What kind of a victory that poses, I just cannot see it. OK, well, that is what history will record and uh, we will have been the generation mm. that watched it happen in minute detail. Um, Declan Power, Sinead Ryan, Alan Dukes, thank you all very much for joining us on the panel this morning. And can I be the first to formally wish you on the radio as a collective group a happy Christmas? Many happy returns to you, Jonathan. Enjoy next Sunday and whatever it may bring. We've Micheál Martin next. Stay with us.